Hello and welcome back to the Goldman's podcast. Today we are chatting with Irish rugby journalist Mary Kingsla. We are really excited about this one, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Yeah, uh, hi Mary, welcome to the Goldman's podcast. Uh, my name is Donna, and this is Paul Drake Rio and Michael. Uh, we're all uh, big rugby fans, so let's get started. Uh, so when you went to school in Newtown, uh, in Waterford, uh, did you die? Did you enjoy your time? Uh, in school, and is that where you first got to, got into rugby? Well, thanks for having me, first of all, lads. It's a real honour. Um, I loved my time in school in Newtown. It was a great place, made some brilliant friends, and it was kind of nice and small, so you got to know everyone in your year, which was lovely. I did play rugby there, but I started with Water Park Rugby Club, which is also in Waterford, when I was, I think I must have been seven or eight. My dad and my brother played there. And they tried to convince me for a few years to go and I didn't want to go at all. And actually, I hated it for the first year. I didn't want to play at all. I was scared to make tackles, but um, I slowly got into it there. And then when I went to Newtown, it was great because we trained pretty much nearly every day with rugby. It was kind of big at the time. It was popular with the year I was in. So kind of things kicked on from from there. And then I actually went back and played Waterpark after school, after I kind of finished up studying in Limerick I had a year back in Waterpark which was nice to play with some old friends from from Waterford as well so it kind of started and finished there in, in Waterpark for me. Hi Murray, I'm Michael, were you successful with your club when you were younger and is that how you got trials for Munster Academy that must have felt amazing? Yeah that was cool um so I kind of got the chance through school to, to go on to play with the Munster underage teams. The first one was an under-18s team. So Newtown School was like a, a second-tier school. I think it's called A Schools now, maybe, Munster A Schools. So I went through that team and did well there and then got on to the Munster under-19 kind of full team and then played Ireland under-19s. And so that's how I got a, an offer for the Munster Academy. And, yeah, it was amazing. It was I, I did two years, so I... I didn't complete the three years. After two years, I kind of hadn't made enough progress. And so they made the decision to to release me from it, which was tough, obviously, at the time. But I totally understood the decision. And it was a great experience to be around Munster at that time. So there was obviously loads of legendary players playing for them. The Paul O'Connells, Ron O'Garas, those kind of guys. Trained with the senior team a few times and obviously le- learned loads about the game that now helps me with this job, definitely, because... There's no better education than being around those kind of players. And I also learned from the kind of tough experiences as well, because, you know, looking back now, there's loads of stuff I could have done to make make more progress. And again, I think that helps me with, with my job, definitely. Hi, Mari. I'm Rio. Growing up, who was your favourite rugby player or rugby hero? Well, I'm going to probably make myself seem old now because you might not have heard of them. But uh, I loved a guy called Yannick Josian. He used to play for France and to lose he was six foot four which I am as well and he played in the center which I did as well and he loved offloading which again was what I was obsessed with so I definitely loved watching him and to lose and French rugby because they just have a really good positive approach to to the game I think in Ireland probably Shane Horgan who you probably watch on on TV now again because he was a big kind of lanky fella like me and I thought if he can do it maybe I can I can do it as well because when you're this tall and gangly, I used to fall over myself a lot and I wasn't very agile. So um, it was always good to see lads like that doing well. Hi, Murray. I'm Ronan. When you went to UL, you studied English and new media and played rugby at the same time. Did you find it hard to balance it all? 
it was tricky all right especially in first year because it was my obviously my first time living away from home which was a challenge in its own right and learning to cook for myself and all that and the way it worked was we'd get up really early I think we'd start gym session at maybe 6 or 6 30 a.m then we do a skill session straight after that and then you go home and you were supposed to get your shower or get your breakfast and go into college for the day and you know, at times it was it was difficult to kind of get the energy to go in and study as, as hard as you wanted to or or be as engaged with you. I think the good thing actually was my course had loads of kind of reading, obviously with, with loads of books to study. So a lot of that I was kind of able to do in my own time and didn't have to be in a whole lot of lectures. But it was definitely challenging at the start because while you obviously want to chase rugby and do the best you can in that, which takes, you know, rest away from from the training time you obviously want to keep your options open and, and have a degree at the end of it. So I probably got to a, a good place where I knew that when there was important rugby matches coming up, that would be the, the kind of main focus. But at other times with exams ahead or a big project that I could um, really put the foot down with that. And actually the Munster Academy were really good. They obviously want you to get ahead with your academic side as well, because injury is always a possibility in rugby, unfortunately. And so they were quite understanding if you're under the pump with, say, a, a deadline or a project that they could give you a bit of a, a bit extra time or send you off early from a session to to get going. But it is it's it's definitely a challenge for those young lads. And I think they get a lot of help now. There's a rugby players organization now who help them kind of manage their timetables and that kind of thing. But I'm still trying to get to grips with that now I'm in my mid 30s. But um, that's all part of the fun. I'm very proud of here. Did you always want to be a journalist or was rugby your first career choice? And if there another job you could see yourself in? I I honestly wasn't sure what I wanted to be. And even as I was progressing through the rugby ranks, I, I'm in on reflection now, I'm not sure that I really wanted it as much as other guys around me did. Like when I look at some of the academy guys who were with me at the time, say the likes of O'Mahony and Murray, Zebo even, who was a bit more laid back, but those lads really wanted to go after it and they they had a real hunger and appetite to kick on with it. Whereas maybe I didn't have that if I'm, if I'm honest with myself now, looking back and at the same time, I didn't know if I wanted to be a journalist. Definitely not. I hadn't grown up imagining that, but I loved reading books and I'd always had that in my life. I loved the kind of English language. So I did that course and then I kind of stumbled into this job, to be honest with you. As I said, I, I got, I, I got dropped out of the Academy and I was kind of trying to figure out what I'd do. And I kind of stumbled into putting the two of those things together, obviously the, the love of English and writing and my my um, my um love for rugby as well. And I started off by doing a blog, actually. I went and lived in France for a year and I played rugby over there just, just for a season, which was a lot of fun. But I kind of started doing it as a bit of a hobby and then people started to read the blogs and one thing led to another. And, and I kind of found myself in the career without ever really, really planning it. In terms of other jobs... I don't know. I, I often, I, I've had this chat with my wife and I, I don't know if I'd be good at anything else to be honest. So I hope I don't have to, to face that prospect, but I think there's, there's overlap. And if it was, if it was another job, I think it would be something to do with the English language or writing or working with words in that way. Cause that really appeals to my brain anyway. Yeah. Oh, hi, Murray. Uh, Donna here again. We saw that you played in the under 19 World Cup. Uh, do you think that experience transferred over and helped you to deal with uh, covering World Cups as a journalist? Yeah, it did. Primarily just because you're learning about rugby, the game, and, and what goes into it. But definitely the the taste of a tiny bit of the pressure that the, the players that we see every weekend 
experience. It was definitely the biggest crowd I've ever played. In. I think it was it was maybe ten thousand plus there for one of the games in in Belfast, and it was quite spectacular to run out in front of it. I was kind of blown away because I come from Newtown School and I'd never played in front of big crowds, you know. And uh, this was on a different level, so I think I probably struggled with that a little bit. It was kind of overwhelming for for me. I was still a teenager, and and I. You know, I'd never uh, experienced it, but again, it gives you an insight into. I can only imagine what sixty thousand people is like for a big World Cup match, and it, I suppose it was a, a a lesson as well in terms of the level that that some of those players are at. And even on under nineteen level, we played against South Africa, and I can they were absolutely huge. I really, I really struggled to 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 get to grips with some of them, but it was. It was awesome to see the talent there and even some of the guys in the Ireland squad who've gone on to bigger and better things. So I think I got a really good understanding of of just how good uh, those players are, the ones who progress in, in professional rugby. But that was it was a cool experience, definitely. And and in hindsight now, I'm, I'm proud to have done it and it was cool to have my family there. And as you know, if you're playing sports and you have kind of loved ones there, it really makes it special. From our perspective, you have the best job ever. What is <laughs> the lows of your work? It is a fun job, I have to be honest. Yeah, I I'm, I know I'm really lucky. The highs, I guess for me, I love traveling and this job definitely involves a fair bit of that. Like I've been to New Zealand, Japan, Australia, everywhere really that plays rugby to, to cover the game. And it's obviously it's full on and you're working flat out, but you do get to see the countries and, and get to eat the food there and things like that. I think the real highlight was 2019 for the World Cup in Japan. It was absolutely out of this world like if you ever end up going traveling you should try and go there because it's so different and it's it was cool to be there to to work but also to to see the place um lows honestly i'm i really am blessed there aren't too many lows the, the big challenges probably are the you're obviously working every weekend and, and all your friends are going off doing things on the weekends because they work monday to friday maybe and and they've free time then and that's tricky and then there like there's a lot of long days I think you know um there's always so much going on in rugby you have to be even today you know had a press conference in the Viva then come back and do a, a podcast about rugby and then later on I have to work on a big article so there's always loads to do and and it's quite time consuming but then if you enjoy it it, it doesn't feel that way either so yeah I definitely feel lucky. Hi Murray it's really here again who is your favorite rugby analyst? Favorite rugby analyst? Well, actually, first of all, I love some of the stuff, the newer stuff, say on the internet now, like Squidge, I think is is unreal. And that new wave of people who aren't big names and haven't been, you know, superstar players, but really are nerdy about the game and are good at kind of illustrating different plays. I think that stuff is absolutely brilliant. There's a few more. I think EK Rugby on, on Twitter does some great stuff as well. Uh, and there's loads of stuff like that coming on online. In terms of analysts uh, in Ireland, I love your, I love Andy Dunn. He's on off the ball. Again, he wasn't the biggest name player, but he's got a really good and different perspective on the the games, and I, and that's something I appreciate. I love when someone thinks different to me and gives a, a a slightly different perspective. And he's quite technical and tactical with his analysis as well, which which I love. Um, but I, it's funny, like the more you meet the people that you watch on TV, the analysts, the big name pundits, and maybe when you've been sitting at home and you haven't done it before, you kind of go, ah, oh, he, he's absolutely waffling on there. But 
you come to appreciate more how actually they have very little time on TV and how stressful it is. And there's often someone in your ear telling you to speak quicker because they need to go to an ad break. Um, so it's a, a tricky job the closer you, you get to it and you realize there's there's challenges there. But uh, off the top of my head, yeah, I love Andy. And I, I definitely love all the online stuff now. I think it's really class. And I think it's great that people can build their careers in a different way now in, in sport. I think that's really that's really cool. When Ireland beat the reigning champions, the Springboks, did you think we had a chance to go all the way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still can't get over it, to be honest. I did, yeah. I thought they played really well. And even in the New Zealand game, when they came back, I thought, oh, this is, st- this is still on. I think that's what made it all the more disappointing, wasn't it? That most of us really thought they had a good chance of winning the tournament. And and they did, they did. They lost that quarterfinal, of course, but it was really hard not to get your hopes up after that game, in uh, the Safra game. And that was another one of those uh, those highs that you, you mentioned earlier on or asked about. Like that day in, in Stade de France in Paris was amazing with the crowd, with the zombie singing afterwards, all those unbelievable moments. So that kind of added to the sense that there might be something special happening and it probably made it all the more disappointing when it didn't. Must have been amazing to be in France for the last few months. Other than match days, what kind of things did you do day to day? Did you have many dealings with your team? Yeah, day to day, eating loads of croissants and lovely French bed. But uh, work wise, it was pretty full on. You know, there was media press conferences every single day where you go in and you interview different players, different coaches. Uh, we'd have podcasts nearly every day. We would have working towards a, a you know an article for the weekend where you have to make a few calls or or meet someone in the in the town but basically you're kind of following the Ireland team around for the the two months essentially and and trying to get interviews with them and trying to I suppose shed light on what they've been doing at the tournament so people back home can can read and listen to to your stuff about that so you're kind of yeah you're you're hanging around them a lot you're not part of that setup and you're in your own kind of accommodation and you you come to meet them at their training ground, but uh, a lot of time around them. And then when you can, you try and go and see the other teams, other games. Obviously, there was some amazing matches not involving Ireland. And if you could, you'd go and interview, say, some of the Springboks camp who have Irish connections. I think people always love reading about that kind of stuff, especially back home. Um, or some of the smaller teams who I'm sure you lads were loving watching play, the likes of Portugal and Chile, who were really great to watch. So... You're trying to cover bits and pieces of that, but the job for me mainly was, yeah, kind of hanging around Ireland like a like a bad smell. Yeah. Um, uh, have you had a favorite player from your time in France, uh, both as a player, as a person, and as a player? You mean one of the Irish players or, or some of the French? Uh, an Irish player. Uh, who's good? I'll tell you who's good now. James Lowe is good for an interview because he's full of. He's full of stories and he's full of crack. Finley Bielam actually is another really kind of interesting character. He's pretty, he's pretty quirky. Um, and most of them actually, most of them are really, they're really personable and quite friendly. I think some of them get a bit, um, probably a bit nervous, I suppose, in the media setting because there's often quite a few journalists and they're all sitting staring, waiting for for a good answer. So it can be a tough setting for them. And sometimes they're nervous about saying the wrong thing because. It might give the opposition a bit of motivation or they might let slip a, a secret from the team. So some of the guys can be, I suppose, more open than others. But 
Yeah, James Lowe is good. Finney Beelham's really good. The younger guys now, like Dan Sheehan, etc., they're just so confident that they speak really well because all they're used to is kind of being on winning teams and they're very confident, which is which is brilliant. And um, the Munster lads are usually good for a bit of a few a few jokes as well. Were you at the URC final last year when Munster won? Do you find it hard not to be biased when reporting on Munster and Ireland? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually wasn't at the final. My wife had just, we just had our first baby just before that. So I didn't make the trip, unfortunately, but it was great to, to watch. In terms of biased, I, I try my best not to be. I try to be as objective as possible and just try to judge the game as it is but I can only imagine that certain bits slip in there. Like when Ireland play, for example, I definitely want them to win. And I was definitely disappointed when they lost in the, the World Cup. But you're still there to be um, as unbiased as possible and really report on the game as it was and try to take in the other perspective of the other team and what they did really well. So you have to be a little bit detached from it. And I think that's a challenge as well because... At times, I've become maybe a little bit too detached from it, where you know you almost lose that thing that got you interested in rugby in the in the first first place, which was following monster teams. And I used to go to the the matches with my dad, and my brother, and it was amazing the the places we went to to support them. But you've got to kind of detach yourself a bit to to do the job with a with a level head. But yeah, when Ireland win, I definitely I definitely do enjoy it. Who do you think will win over the weekend, Munster or Leinster? Uh, if I'm being honest, after seeing the teams listed today, I, I think Leinster have the, the favourites tag there, definitely. Really strong team, kind of point to prove. And Munster, they're missing a few. But I think it's great, as you all probably know, that Munster won last year. And obviously they, they went on to win the URC. But it also gave the rivalry a new a new edge because it got a bit boring when Leinster were just winning all the time, didn't it? <laughs> and I think... I think everyone enjoyed seeing Munster win, but yeah, I think it would take a massive performance to to beat Leinster tomorrow. And Murray, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so great to talk to you. Last question. Do you think in our lifetime, Ireland will bring home the rugby world cup one day? Well, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. They're absolutely brilliant questions, honestly. Uh, really good prospects as future journalists, I think, lads, or, or hopefully players, if you want to keep playing. And yeah, I do think Ireland are going to win a World Cup in our lifetime. I really do. I think the fact that we've come back now and the last few weeks, if you've been watching the provinces, you can see the level of talent from the young lads coming through now. It's, it's so different to the way it was before. We might have had four or five players who you think, oh, they could be really good for Ireland. But now there's 15 or 20 lads who've won the Grand Slam at the under-20s who've been really good. They've been on really good pathways the whole way through. So I'm really optimistic that Ireland are going to just get better and better in that regard and yeah I hope it's before I retire from reporting on rugby hopefully it's close to to, to Ireland again because I thought that was really cool in France the way all those Irish people were able to to be there you, you think it'll be a bit different in Australia and USA the next couple of times but hopefully Ireland get over the, the they get the monkey off their back before that lads what a great podcast thanks very much to Mari for coming on today stay tuned for episode three coming soon